Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Hey, if you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to Exodus chapter 33 for this morning's message. If you have your Bibles today, open them with me to Exodus chapter 33 for this morning's message. This morning, as we open God's word, I want to preach to you on the subject, desiring God's glory, desiring God's glory. And I want to begin today with asking you a simple question that I want you to really examine in your life for a moment and see if you can come up with a quick answer. Here's the question. If God were to look at you and say, I am showing you my grace, I am extending my favor to you, ask from me anything you want, what would you ask from God? If you could ask of God anything that would cross your heart and mind that you would desire, what is it that you would ask of God? Now, I realize there's a danger in asking that question because there are many who view God as if he's this cosmic genie in the bottle. He's simply there to to hear our wishes and he therefore has to grant them. But I want to remind us, God is not a genie in a bottle. He is the living, almighty, omniscient, all-powerful, living God of heaven who is worthy of our devotion, praise, and worship. He is. And yet at the same time, as we consider that question, I ask that question because... There are many things about the answer of that question that it reveals about our view of God and our relationship with him. So if you could ask God for anything, what would it be? Now, some of us today would think of general things like, I would wish for world peace, okay? That might win you a beauty pageant, but, and maybe that's what you're thinking of. Or, or some might say, well, I, I would wish for climate change, or I would wish for this or that. I would wish that COVID would just go away. And those would maybe be noble and good requests. But, but most of us likely, when we think about the thing we would ask of God, we think about something personal. It might be an object. It might be something that we've had our mind and our eyes on for a while. It might be a relationship that we feel that we're lacking and we're longing for in our life. And there are many personal, specific things that we might ask of God. But in Exodus chapter 33, we see someone who asks something of God that frankly is so simple and yet significant that I believe if we would get to the place that this would be our greatest desire, it would change many things about the way we are living our life today. This morning, as we look to Exodus chapter 33, I'm gonna preach to you again on the subject, desiring God's glory. Remember, over the last few weeks, as we've been looking at the topic of God's glory, we've been reminded that to speak of God's glory is to speak of the fact of how God has revealed himself. To speak of God's glory is to speak of the fullness of who he is. How do you fully summarize the fullness of who God is? To speak of his glory is to speak of his power. It's to speak of his majesty. It's to speak of his greatness. The word in the Old Testament literally is, it's to speak of his heaviness and his weight. It's the idea here of the most important and the greatest and grandest of all things. It is God himself. It is God's glory that when we catch a glimpse of it, when we see God's glory revealed in creation, or we see God's glory revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, his son who came and died and rose again from the grave, when we see God's glory revealed through the way that we experience salvation and his gift of eternal life, when we experience a glimpse of God's glory, it brings us to a place of wonder. 
it brings us to a place of, of awe. And it brings us to a place of complete and total devotion. I was reminded of that this past summer when we were at Yosemite National Park and we were looking down and to our left there was El Capitan and there were the lower waterfalls and then right in front of me was this thing called Half Dome and then to the right there were the upper falls and looking in that grand magnificent moment, honestly, I felt so small and yet at that same moment there was this reminder that I am valuable to God, not because of who I am, but because he has placed his love towards me by giving Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. That's not just for me, that's for all of us. That wonder in that moment, it brings us to a place of response, of worship and devotion to him. And yet so often in our life, it's easy to lose sight of it. It's easy in the busyness of life with all the noise and clutter. It's easy even at times doing good things to lose sight of the glory of God. That's exactly what had happened in, in Ezekiel's day. And God speaks to the prophet Ezekiel. And maybe it's what he's saying to many of us today when God speaks in Ezekiel chapter 22. And here's what he says. He says, you have forgotten me, declares the Lord God. Really what I'm asking us today is this. Have you forgotten, lost sight of the Lord? Exodus chapter 33. I wanna ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word and we're gonna to read together the entirety of the chapter. It's a longer chapter, so I would encourage you to pay as close attention as you can, and I'll try to give us a marker along the way to make sure we know where we're at. Beginning in verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, all the little lights. I'm going to take care of them. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but listen to this statement. For I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. Verse four, when the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning and none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, you're an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now therefore put off your ornaments from you that I may know what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Verse seven. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I might find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, Moses, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, 
Do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, I and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight and I have known you by name. For now, we're gonna stop at verse 18. Then Moses said, listen to this climactic moment. I pray you, show me your glory. I pray you, Lord, show me your glory. Let's pray together. God, would you speak to our hearts and lives right now that we would have a restored and renewed focus on your glory and that from now on this day forward, we would have a new hunger and thirst to see more of you in our life. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Desiring... God's glory. Have you ever been on a journey where you were on the right path, doing the right thing, going the right direction, when all of a sudden you weren't on the right path or the right direction or somewhere lost along the way? Perhaps you were listening to the opinion of your shotgun rider beside you. Perhaps you were listening to the insecurity and the questions of your own mind as you were wondering, well, was I supposed to go this way or that way? Or perhaps you were listening to some bad advice from someone like Google Maps. Ever been there before? I was reminded of that this past summer as we were on our sabbatical trip. We were leaving one national park and we were making our way to another. And I did the the foolish choice in this moment of looking up our directions on Google Maps. Now, to be clear, Google Maps was telling me the fastest route to get to where I wanted to be, but there was a problem with that. Google Maps didn't know how much fuel was in my tank. Google Maps didn't know how far away the next gas station was, and Google Maps didn't know the dust storm that I was gonna face around the corner. Ever been there before? I remember as we were driving that route through the state of New Mexico, which I'll be thankful if God never makes me do that again, I remember driving and wondering, no offense if you're from there, but I began to wonder, did the rapture happen and I missed the rest of the world? There was nobody for what seemed like forever. And we were driving and we were making our way and and we're getting down to a quarter of a tank and I'm beginning to wonder, Lord, is there gonna be a gas station anywhere? Am I gonna be begging for fuel on the side of the road and and wondering where we'd be? I'll never forget turning the curve and there was a sign that said literally, keep your headlights on the next 30 miles. It's the middle of the daylight. Why would we need that? And all of a sudden, before you know it, we're in a dust storm. I'd never driven in a dust storm before. I didn't know you're supposed to stop. But as I'm driving through this dust storm, I'm literally at a place where I can hardly see 20 feet in front of me, much less yards in front of me. And all of a sudden I'm hearing ping, ping, ping. And what's happening is gravel is hitting our windshield. Needless to say, once we got through that, I was a little distracted. I, I was confused along the way. By God's grace, we did get to where we needed to be. And a kind gentleman helped us out along the way. And we were on our merry way and made the rest of our trip. But the point is, There are some of us spiritually speaking in our life, we're not on the right path. We've not accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. God's only way for salvation, God's only way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. There are some of us who are not on the right path at all, and today God is inviting us off of that broad way which leads to destruction, and he's brought us to that narrow way of recognizing and receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But there are many of us who get on that right path. We're going the right direction. But then somewhere along the way, storms come and trials come and we listen to voices and we listen to opinions and we give in to the pressures of the world and we get distracted. And like that dust storm that came up all of a sudden, we kind of lose sight of where we're supposed to be going. God tells us in this pastor scripture how we can have a right view and focus of the glory of God. 
To get there, I believe there's two things that God wants us to see this morning. Number one, I want you to see the restoration of God's glory. The restoration of God's glory. When I speak of the restoration of God's glory, please understand loud and clear, I am not suggesting to us that there is anything about God's glory that has been diminished. There's nothing that I can do and there's nothing that you can do to diminish the glory of God. God is holy, he's righteous, he's true, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. There is nothing you and I can do to dethrone him or change who he is. Nothing we can do to diminish his glory. However, there are many things that we can allow and do in our life that will diminish our focus on God and on his glory. So how do we restore that in our life? Number one, I want you to say this, see this loud and clear. If we're going to experience the restoration of God's glory in our life, first and foremost, there must be a confrontation of sin. There must be a confrontation of sin. There's a challenge there, isn't it? The challenge is, is that there's something that every single one of us have experienced, every single one of us have done, that is a hindrance to seeing the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means that God is holy, he's righteous, and he's true, and every single one of us have fallen short of that. Anybody here this morning ever told a lie? That's right. You know what that means? It means we've all fallen short. And those of you who haven't, welcome to the club. You just did, okay? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And please understand this. Even God's people, when we realize our sin... And instead of turning from it and turning to Jesus, if we continue in that sin, if we continue to harden our heart, if we continue to close our eyes and put our fingers in our ears and not deal with it in the way that God calls us to, the Bible tells us it causes us to lose sight of his glory. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, for example, God had given his people opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to deal with their sin. God sent prophet after prophet, message after message for them to confess their sin and turn from it and turn to the living God of heaven, but they refused. And the end result was found in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18. It says this, then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple. Literally, they saw the manifest presence of the glory of God depart and move away away from the temple, it was a reminder to us that when you and I don't take sin seriously and confront it in our life, it too will rob us of our view of the glory of God. But we don't like to be confronted. I confess, I don't, I don't like to be confronted over things. Anybody like to, they're probably lying to you just a little bit. We don't like that. And at the same time, we need that. God tells us loud and clear in his word, where there is sin, there must be a confrontation of sin. For the Israelites in Exodus chapter 33, we see that loud and clear in this past of scripture. If you were here last week, you remember from Exodus 30, chapter 32 that, that God had been working and he was speaking to Moses and he was meeting with Moses there on the mountain. He was giving Moses direction and instruction for the people and how they were to live and how, how Moses was to lead them in the coming days. But in Exodus chapter 32, they lost sight of the glory of God. They rushed ahead doing their own thing. They replaced relationship with God for a dead, lifeless religion. They were focused on man instead of focusing on God. And the end result of that is they became impatient in Exodus 32. So much so that they got desperate. And they said, you know what? We, we don't have the living God. We see his presence over there on the mountain, but we want a God for ourselves. So Aaron had them take off their gold earrings. He threw it in the fire. He chiseled a golden calf. And when the golden calf came out of the fire, the Bible says that the leaders of Israel looked and said, behold, Israel, here's your God who's delivered you from Egypt. They had created a man-made idol as a substitute for the true, real, living God. Well, in Exodus chapter 33, 
God is now speaking to Moses. And he says, Moses, in order for the, my glory to be restored, in order for the people to be on the right path, in order for them to be right with me, you need to send them a message. And that is that they can't keep doing what they're doing and think that they're gonna still have my blessing. God confronts the sin. In fact, he calls them here an obstinate people, which doesn't mean stubborn like a donkey like we think of. In that translation, it literally means a rebellious people. They know the truth, but they choose a lie. They know the right path, but they go their own path. They know what pleases me, but instead they choose to dishonor me. Moses, if this is gonna be restored, there has to be a confrontation of sin. Verse five, God tells us very directly that he spoke to Moses saying, should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Please understand that this is not God having a childlike anger. This is God reminding us that he's holy and he's righteous and he is just. And the Bible tells us all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but it also tells us the consequences of that sin. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death is what the Bible says. In fact, all the way back from the beginning with Adam and Eve, God told Adam and Eve, listen, I'm blessing you and I'm gonna be good to you. You're gonna have fellowship with me. But when you sin and if you sin, the day you sin, you will surely die. And sure enough, when they sinned, death came even as God said. The Bible tells us this about God in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 31 to 32. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. God is saying loud and clear, we've got to confront the sin in our life. Don't dismiss it. Don't justify it. Don't condone it. Listen, in our culture today, we want someone who's going to make us feel good about the actions that we are choosing to do. But when our actions that we are choosing are contradictory to the word and will of God, we've got to confront them. Which brings me to a second point. There's a choice that must be made. There's a choice that must be made. When God convicts us of sin and shows us that we've done something that's wrong, we're going in the wrong path, we're going in the wrong direction, we've, we've done something that we know we shouldn't have, we then have a choice to make. In fact, every single Sunday when we gather together a week and you're reading God's word and God convicts you, in that moment of conviction, you are making a choice. It's the choice to humble ourselves and repent or to harden our hearts and refuse to, or it's simply the choice to do nothing. But even the choice to do nothing is indeed a choice. In this moment, God looks at the Israelites and he speaks through Moses and here's what he says. He says, Moses, tell the people to take off their ornaments. To tell them to take off their, their jewelry, if you will. Now remember, this is not God just calling them to a simplistic lifestyle. It was the, their jewelry that they had used in the previous chapter to make a dead false god, an idol that they would bow to and worship. Here, here's what God is saying. God is saying, I want you to tell the Israelites, take off the facade, take off the mask, take off the outward appearance. They're not impressing me because I want to deal with the heart. We need to be reminded of that today. So often in our culture, even in our church world, it is so easy to get focused on what am I gonna drive and what am I gonna wear and how am I gonna look and how am I going to act and what are people gonna see and what is gonna be their perception of me and what are all these outward things? 
What God is saying loud and clear is this, no. In order to be right with me, they've got a choice to make, and here's what I'm calling them to do. I'm calling them to humble themselves, take off the mask, get rid of the exterior facade, and come humbly before me. I'm reminded, though, sadly, in this moment, they have a choice, but sadly, in their history, they didn't always choose the right thing. Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah chapter six, for example, the Bible says that God says specifically, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But listen to what the people chose. And they said, we will not walk in it. By the time you get to the end of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 42, God's people go to Jeremiah, the prophet, and they say, hey, Jeremiah, would you seek God for us? We want to know God's direction. We want to know God's will. And it sounds like they're ready to make the right choice. Whatever God tells you to do, we're going to do it, Jeremiah. Jeremiah seeks God. He gets direction. He goes to the people and he says, here's the word of God. This is what God says. And because they were already bent on going their own direction, you know what they did? No, God didn't say that. You're just lying, Jeremiah. Your, your servant Baruch puts you up to this. The fact is, is that they were already headstrong and bent on going their own direction. Today, God is calling us where there is sin in our life, where there are things that are contradictory to his will and to his word. He's calling us to a place of confronting them and making the choice of humbling ourselves and repenting of these in our lives. There is no way that you can be right with God and have a renewed vision of his glory without a brokenness over your sin and a turning from it. Author Erwin Lutzer says it this way, the glory is restored by biblically taking care of sin because sin always causes the withdrawal of the glory of God among his people. Third thing, if God's glory is to be restored, I want you to see the change that should be evident. The change that should be evident. There are many people, no doubt, many people amongst the Israelites in that moment, many people in the church even today who would say, hey, hey, I, I'm in a right relationship with God. Like, I'm on the right path. I'm going the right direction. Like, God and I, we are like this. But I'm reminded this morning that the greatest evidence of our true relationship with God is not in our claims, but in our conduct. It's not in what we have professed. It is in what we're practicing in our life. If we truly have been changed by repentance of sin and accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then the greatest evidence of that will be seen in a heart and a life that has been changed. I'm reminded of that. Let me give a brief illustration for just a moment. Let's say this afternoon, you were to go home, families, you and if you, if you have children, for example, and let's just say you were to have your, your meal and after that you were to make a delicious dessert called chocolate chip cookies, hallelujah, one of God's gifts to man, Okay. And let's say you were to look at all the kids, I see you like them too, and you were to say, hey kids, you know what? After lunch, you can have one chocolate chip cookie. It's your only cookie for the day. And they were to eat that one cookie and they were to enjoy it, I mean, probably in one big bite, right? And you were to say to them afterwards, all right, no more cookies today, but we can get more cookies you know, later tomorrow or something. And after that, you were to take all the extra cookies and you were to put them in the cookie jar and leave them in the cookie jar. Well, they heard the rule. They heard the instruction. Let's just say, though, 30 minutes later, you heard some movement in the kitchen and you were curious. You came back to find that, that little Johnny or, or little Jane, they had already gotten back in the cookie and they were already in the process of eating a second. And let's say you corrected them. No, 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 no. I told you only one and, and you shouldn't have done that. And they were to say, I'm sorry, mommy. I'm sorry, daddy. 
And you said, that's okay, I'm told you not to do that. Okay, I won't do that again. And let's just say you put them down for a nap and you went to the back room for just a moment and just five minutes later, you hear those pitter-patter feet and before you even get into the kitchen, you see they've already eaten another. And let's say this pattern begins. I don't know if that's just my house or not, but anybody ever been there before? You see, that, that child can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they can even say, I'm not gonna do that again because the reality is in that moment, there's remorse. But the evidence of repentance does not mean that you're perfect but it means a change. You don't keep going to the same path. You don't keep going to the same pattern. And the Bible says in this moment, a change took place. In fact, the Bible tells us loud and clear in Exodus chapter 33, that in this moment, that the people of God, they went into mourning. None of them put on their ornaments, their jewelry, if you will. And those who did, they, they, they'd already had it on. They immediately took it off. And the Bible says this little word in verse six, they did this from Mount Horeb onward. A change of humility and of brokenness over what they had done. This word they had heard, it grieved them. Not only that, verses 7 through 11 tells us something interesting. It tells us that even in the midst of the, the broken fellowship, the distance that God had experienced as the tent would be taken now outside of the camp, Moses would go there to pray and to talk with God. Even in the midst of that distant fellowship, God was still looking at the people in verse 7. He said, listen, so those who want to seek me, you can still seek me. Those who want to know me, you can come out to this place and you can talk to me and you can pray to me and you can seek me with your life. Verses 7 through 11, when Moses would go out to the tent, the cloud would descend and the people knew that God was meeting there with Moses. And so the people would come outside of their own tents and they would stand, the Bible says. The idea is they're standing out of respect. And when they saw that cloud descend, there they would worship. These are the same people, the chapter prior, that were bowing to singing songs to and celebrating feasts for a dead, false, man-made idol. Here they are in Exodus chapter 33, and a major change is taking place. Why? Because they come before God with a brokenness and with a repentance over their sin. Can I remind us this morning, if we're going to have a restored view of the glory of God, we cannot condone our sin. We cannot justify it or excuse it. We can't spend our time pointing at other people We've got to look in our own hearts and lives. And where there is sin, 1 John 1, 9, we must confess our sins, forsake those sins. And if we confess and forsake those sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The restoration of God's glory. But the restoration of God's glory leads us to a second point in this passage of scripture, and that is this. I want you to see the request for God's glory. If we're going to have a renewed focus on God's glory, we must begin with confronting the sin in our own lives, repenting of it, and living out this commitment through a life that's been changed. And one of the ways we do that is by the way we relate to God, specifically in prayer. For those of you today who have been watching us by means of the broadcast, I want you to know you can hear the rest of this message on our website because there's much more that God wants to say about a relationship with him. For all of us here in the building, I want you to consider for just a moment the request that God shows us in this illustration of this man by the name of Moses. If you could ask God for anything, what would you ask for? That's why we began this message. I can think of a lot of things that Moses could have asked for in this moment, but there is none greater than the request that we're gonna find by the time we get to the end of this chapter. And my hope and prayer is that God would allow this to be loud and clear in our lives in a powerful way today. 
Listen to what God says in this request for God's glory. Now, I have to confess that if I were in Moses' shoes, there's a lot of things I could think to ask God for. Like if I were in Moses' shoes right now and I've been leading this, this people that have been rebellious going their own direction, in this moment, I have to confess, I might be asking like, God, can you, can you give me a new people to lead? That'd be great, God. I might be asking me, God, God, could you give me a day of peace and quiet without any other complaints? That would be really nice, right? I mean, can you give me a day where the kids aren't constantly going to the cookie jar? That would be amazing, God, right? I mean, if I'm Moses in this moment, I'm probably thinking practically like, God, I could, I could really use some sandals, a steak. I mean, something really good would be awesome right now. But Moses was far more mature for that He was far more focused than that to ask for something so temporary and so limited in the grand scheme of eternity. Moses begins a series of requests. I'm gonna list them as three things that I think shows us his heart. And my hope is that it becomes our heart in each of our lives today. First thing I want you to see is this. His request showed devotion to God. Notice what he says in verse 13. Therefore, I pray you, God, if I find favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. Let me know your ways that I may know you. Now, notice this request is not merely for his benefit as if he's just looking for another blessing from God. God, let me know your ways so that I can be blessed in this life. God, let me know your way so that I can get some grand position in life. God, let me know your way so that I can be wealthy and wise. God, let me know your way so that I can be popular and have a following and have lots of followers on social media. God, let me know your way so that everything I say, you know, is like directly from you. God, let me know your ways for some benefit for me. That's not what he says. God, let me know your ways. Here's the only reason. Here's the focus. So that I may know you. Now pause for a moment. Moses already knew many of the ways of God. He had been meeting with God on the mountain. And yet in this moment, what he's saying is this. God, I wanna know you more. I know I've been spending time with you. I know you've been talking to me. I know we've been in relationship like a friend to a friend, but God, it's not enough. I wanna know you more. I want to hear you more. I wanna understand you more. God, I want to know you. In other words... Moses understood the greatest blessing and the prize is not in what he could receive, but in who he was growing to know. Please understand, this is the same type of concept that Paul explained in Philippians chapter three when he says this in verse eight and 10. He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, listen, I've experienced all these things from wealth and success and popularity and prestige of religion religious leadership, all these different things. But I'm telling you, it is nothing. It is like garbage. It is like rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ personally and knowing him more and more. Here's my question. Do you know Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior? You know what one of the greatest evidences of a a knowing relationship with Jesus, you know what one of the greatest evidences is? It's a hunger 
and a drive and a pursuit to know him more. We shouldn't be surprised by that. We see that illustrated every time there's a dating relationship that begins that leads to marriage. You see a couple going on a date and they begin to talk and they begin to spend time together and they're learning each other's ways and their personality, their likes and dislikes and their different ways of life and how they do things. And and there's a date and there's a date and it just keeps growing and defining there's an engagement and then there's a marriage. And then once they say I do, it shouldn't end there. They continue to date. They continue to spend time. They continue to laugh. Why? Because there's a desire and a hunger to know each other more. And frankly, those relationships that grow cold, somewhere along the way, they stopped with that desire. When you and I know Jesus, there's a constant drive within our soul to know him more. Moses' request shows an incredible devotion to the Lord. But secondly, can I just say this? His request showed complete dependence upon God. I love this statement. Please don't miss this. Here in this moment, Moses makes a statement in verse 12 that I think, frankly, is a powerful statement of faith, but it's also an implied request. Here's what he says. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Verse 14, God answers this statement and says this, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses says in verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. His request showed a great dependence upon God. When Moses said, Lord, you would not let me know yet who's gonna go with me. Please understand, Moses had tons of people around him. The Israelites were a large group of people and he had had servants and leaders around him. He had Joshua, the son of Nun. He had Aaron, the priest that he had just had to rebuke in the chapter prior, but he had people, he had plenty of people to go with him. When Moses says, Lord, you yourself have not let me know what he's in essence saying is this, Lord, who possibly better than you could go with us? Lord, there is nobody like you. Only you have all power and only you have all authority. Only you are the living God of heaven. You're not like all the dead, lifeless gods of Egypt. You're not like all the golden calves of the world. You're not like all the pleasures that the world promises. You're not like all these things that we're hearing about in the culture, God. You are the only true living. Who is there possibly like you? His statement is a statement of faith in God, but also a statement of saying, God, There is no one else. God, you're promising us this land and you told us that your angel will go with us, but God, we don't want merely an angel. We want you. We need you. Think of that. God was saying to him, Moses, I'm going to give you the land. Y'all can go on into the land and you can have a a pretty good future and y'all can keep praying the way y'all been praying and you can keep having feasts and sacrifices the way you've been doing. You can keep singing and you can go through all the different motions. You can keep doing what you've been doing. But Moses knew that what they'd been doing wasn't enough because it was dead, lifeless, pointless, and worthless if God wasn't in it. Could it be that one of the reasons the church, the Big C Church in America, has lost its voice, its influence, and it's light for the gospel of Jesus Christ is because we have settled for cheap substitutes 
We are going through the vain, worthless, pointless motions of traditions, symbols, rituals, and religion, and God is not really in it. See, in this moment, like Moses is so desperate and so dependent upon the presence of God, he literally comes to God, he's like, God, if, 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 you're, not in, if you're not leading us forward, I don't want to go. God, I would have rather sit here in this wilderness, completely unaware I'm going, completely unaware of what the enemy's going to do, but I would rather be here content with you in the desert with nothing, nothing else than to go forward to the promised land without you. I'd rather be in a place that the world says is suffering and know that I'm... His request shows his absolute dependence on God. God, I don't need anything else. I need you. And finally, his request shows his deep, deep desire for God. Exodus chapter 33, verse 17. God speaks and he says, Moses, you have found favor in my sight. I have known you by name. Moses hearing that incredible word of assurance, I know you by name. Moses, you're my child. I, I, I'm granting my favor to you. Moses hearing that word takes one step further. To be honest with you, you almost look at it from man's perspective and I'm like, hey man, slow down. You might get a little demanding here. I don't, I don't know. You know, like you've asked a lot of God already. But God in his goodness and grace delights in those who seeks him above all. Moses comes in this final request and I think ultimately states the desire and summary of his heart. And here's what he says. I pray you, God, show me your glory. I pray you, show me your glory. Now, pause for just a moment. God has already revealed his glory in Moses' life. I don't know if you remember this or not, but when God called Moses, he did so when he was on the backside taking care of sheep, backside of a hill taking care of sheep, and he called him from a burning bush. Remember that story? God spoke from the burning bush, but the bush wasn't consumed. God was revealing his presence and his power even in that moment, and Moses saw it with his own eyes, and it was a seeing it that called his attention. Throughout this pastor scripture, we've seen over and over again that God would speak there at the mountain and he would call Moses up and there a cloud would descend upon that mountain and there was thunder and lightning so much so that the Israelites would be terrified. But God knew that, that Moses knew that God was meeting there and so there was a revelation. He saw in, in aspect the glory of God. When God was leading the Israelites through the wilderness, there was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Why? Because it was a revelation of the glory of God. What is Moses asking for here? Much like his request Show me your ways that I may know you. Here's basically what he's saying. God, I want to see you face to face. I want to know you in the fullness of who you are. I want to know you so personally and so intimately. God, I know that I'm in relationship with you, but it's not, a, I want to keep growing. I want to keep knowing. I want to experience you in a way that I've never experienced you before. What we see here is a man who's not complacent, not content to settle for substitutes. Not content to settle on some past experience. Oh, you know, 20 years ago this happened in my life. That's awesome. Please remember those past things were, were to prepare you for what God wants to do today. This is a man who is hungering, thirsting, 
and longing for God's presence to be revealed in his life. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you longed and desired and craved God's presence to be revealed in your life? He says, Lord, show me your glory. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, the true servant of God is concerned more about the glory of God than anything else. The Bible tells us, and you'll have to read the rest of the pastor scripture in your own time this week, that God looked at Moses and he said, Moses, well, you, you can't see my face and live. Your, your mortal body cannot see me and literally survive it. But here's what I'm gonna do, Moses. I'm gonna hide you in the cleft of the rock. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna let all my goodness, I'm gonna let my glory pass by you. And when I pass by you, you're gonna look. And after I have passed, you're gonna see my glory. Just a glimpse, just a glimpse. And that's exactly what God did. The Bible tells us in the following chapters that when Moses came down off of this meeting with God, his face, his countenance shone so bright that at first it scared the Israelites. He could not hide the fact that he had seen the glory of God. It literally left an evidence in his life. I wonder today, could it be that the reason that the world doesn't see the light so often in and through us is because we've lost sight of the glory of God. And could it be the reason why we lost sight is because God and his glory has not been our primary pursuit and focus. So let me ask you. The Bible says in the book of Acts that the living God of heaven is the God of glory. In Exodus chapter 33, we see this incredible request. God Show me your glory. I'm convinced that the God of glory hasn't changed. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still delights in revealing himself in our lives. But the question is this for each of us. Do we desire his glory above any and everything else? My hope and prayer is that for each of us in our lives today, that we can get to a place where we would be praying personally in our own hearts, God, would you show me your glory? That in our homes, in our marriages, that we won't be about our, our agenda, our desires, even our goals for that matter, but instead as husbands and wives and as children perhaps gathered together, that we'd be seeing together, God, would you show us your glory? Show us who you are. Show us what you'd have us to do. My prayer for us as a church that we would not be about the name of Crosslink or anything else but the name of Jesus, his glory, his will, his praise. Many of us want revival in our lives, our homes, our church, our nation, but I'm telling you, I don't believe it will happen until we come to a place of repentance over sin, humbly requesting above any and everything else God, would you show us your glory? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together and for the ways that you speak to our heart and life. I pray, God, where there are idols in our life, that we would remove them. I pray, God, where there is sin in our life, that we would repent of sin and turn from it and turn to you. And God, I pray today, 
If there's anyone who's just on the wrong path, they have never accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be this day of salvation for them, where they would experience the joy of knowing their sins are forgiven, the peace of knowing that they've received the gift of eternal life, the hope of knowing that one day they'll be in heaven. God, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.